confession. I mean, as we read it, there might have been more to it, but people going out and playing and singing instruments and just declaring the goodness and the mercy of God ambushed the enemies. You know, the message that we heard this morning, extending uh, our influence, extending our reach uh, by our voice. Sometimes it's just a matter of just declaring the goodness of God when you wake up every day. Just the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the mercy and the compassion of God is new every morning because God's faithful. Amen. Even if we messed up, God's faithful. He'll never deny himself. If he said it, he'll do it, right? And so we just get up and declare, you know what? I might have messed up, but thank God. Today, his mercies are new. His compassion is everlasting. God, you're so faithful. You're good, and your mercy endures forever. So whatever the enemy has planned, sometimes you just arrive at that knowing that God is good and find out he kind of confounded himself. What he had planned came to naught. You come up on the spoil, and what you thought was going to be a bad day is a good day. And uh, what you thought was going to turn out wrong turned out right because God went before you and uh, did what only God can do. Amen? Just want to remind you, next Sunday night we're starting a series on healing. I can't tell you how long it's going to last, but uh, uh, I believe it's going to be good. If somebody you know is having some things going on in their body, tell them to come. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And I believe right now we're living in a time where uh, building our faith concerning the healing power of God is going to be more and more, become more and more important to us and understanding that, you know, not throwing things out and, and getting so focused or even fearful and calling it faith, but really understanding really where we put our faith in God. And uh, you know what? God's not, uh, God and doctors really aren't working against each other. <laughs> so we'll talk about some of that, right? You know what? We get so fearful and we call it faith. I'm not going to go, I don't want to hear that report. But sometimes it's just a matter of, you know what? I have no idea what's going on. Somebody locates it, you focus your faith, all of a sudden things come together. But in that place of not knowing and fear, you're not operating in the faith of God. So we hope to answer some questions through this series, get your faith built up. So you know what, you're not, you're not afraid of anything, you just know you're led, we're led by the Spirit of God. We, by faith, tap into the power of God that's present. And uh, I believe we're going to just gonna see some, some powerful, powerful things happen for people uh, here. But also it'll equip you to go out and minister uh, faith and the power of God to other people that you know. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, I don't want to take any more time. Uh, praise the Lord. We're blessed to have Brother John with us. Initially, we didn't, uh, I mixed something up. I thought he was coming through and moving on on Sunday. And so I said, well, come Sunday morning. But then uh, through the office and everything, they had him already staying tonight. And so Tasha said, are you staying? He said, well, yeah, I'm staying. I said, well, man, then, then if you're staying... Then uh, just impart to us some more. Why don't you do Sunday night? So uh, praise the Lord. We're glad that he's here. The things that he taught us this morning, I hope you put those in your heart. Speaking, what, sending out those words ahead and extending your reach by your words. And um, praise the Lord. So we're, I'm excited to find out what he has for us tonight. So open up your hearts. Put your hands together. Give a warm Glenwood Springs welcome once again to John Grunewald as he comes. Now am I on? I did turn myself off. Well, yeah. <laughs> you always have to watch those, don't you? Microphones are dangerous. I don't know all what Pastor Mark's going to cover in the healing thing. He said if there's anything, you know, 
in your body you want to get fixed. I'd like to be taller and weigh less. So I don't know if you're going to cover that or not. But if you are, I'm going to probably be back. I want to take full advantage of those kind of things. Like, like my brother-in-law Joe says, he goes, I'm the right weight, I'm the wrong height. <laughs> it's a constant battle, whatever. Well, thank you for being here tonight. Right place, right time. And uh, God always meets us here, doesn't he? We're so thankful for all he's done for us. And you know, as it, you know you're in a church where you are taught the word. And still, there is so much light we haven't seen. I wonder when we get to heaven if we're just going to be kicking ourselves for like maybe a millennium or something like that, going, I, I can't believe I didn't see that. You know, it was right there, right in front of me all the time, and I missed it. Um, and I don't know about you, it seems like every time I read the Word and see something, I'm like, how could I not have seen that before? But, you know, it's kind of, you know, you build on top of things all the time, and so anyhow, we're, we're thankful for the Word and all He's done for us and, you know, continually uh, seeing more and more thankful for everything like that. But glad you're here. We do live in, I think, one of the most interesting times in human history, and uh, we get to be here for that. Maybe, maybe, we'll, we'll be here for when He comes back for the church. That would be the way to go, wouldn't it? And a lot of generations have thought that, but if He doesn't do it in this one, He's missing a really good opportunity. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. <laughs> because the way events of the world have come together, there just really isn't much left to do, is there? Except it would be nice if we could take a lot more people with us. That would be the one regret if we left today, wouldn't it? Other than that, I'm ready. But uh, a lot of other people aren't ready, and it's not all about me, which is kind of a sad thing to learn sometimes, right? But it's true. Well, anyhow, I'm not gonna do a part two from this morning. That was a reminder message, and I'll just leave that one where it was. But I would, uh, so tonight we're going to, um, maybe a title is just Build the Church, and a subtitle under that is The Command of Discipleship. And uh, I spend a lot of time nowadays working with leaders and teams, you know, all over the world, but especially in our Europe, Africa, Middle East zone. And it, it was not something that I really saw doing years ago. Uh, as I said this morning, my personality really wasn't the kind that wanted to stand in front of people ever, and that was, but that was part of God's will, and so you can either obey or disobey. That's the choice there. And that means, that means you have to grow and develop. And you know where you grow the most? At the edge or beyond your comfort zone. Everybody's got a comfort zone. Mine used to be about that big. And, you know, so you have to get out there and you have to take some steps. And for me, you know, I could, I could do the administration of a ministry or a church with my hands tied behind my back. I did that kind of thing. Um, but then when the time came where I had to go from sitting there to stepping up here, that was scary for me. And like I said, only about 10,000 times, and I got kind of comfortable with it. So, you know, if that's what you're called to, and you've you kind of got an introvert uh, personality, just keep doing it and keep doing it, and eventually it kind of gets okay. But the other part of that was, is I didn't ever want to lead anything. That was never something I desired or cared about. I'm by nature a team player. And now we certainly work in teams today. That's the, you know, the teams are kind of the fundamental building block of any successful organization. But it, uh, you know, I could see what God was doing over time, and it made me, it scared me again. It put me on the edge of my comfort zone. 
or beyond, and it forced me to grow or quit. It was one or the other again. And I decided I would grow, and I probably spent a seven-year period quite a few years ago where I had to invest a lot in me to grow as a leader. I spent a lot of money, a lot of time, and this is while we were doing all the other things, but it was something that I knew that if I didn't do, it was going to cost us in the organization a lot. So I had to grow. So today, I spend a lot of time, I spend more time working with our leaders and our teams than I do teaching school like I did for so many years. We pastored, had the Bible schools and, you know, flying around and teaching at the other schools. And um, I don't do as much of that teaching anymore. The other part that I do is more of our expansion, uh, especially into Eastern Europe. We had prayed and prayed and prayed about Eastern Europe for years. And it was just like every time we wanted to go do something there, it was like God was just kind of standing there going, not yet. And we're like, well, you know, time's getting short. We got to do something. And one morning when we were praying as a, a team in, in Germany, this is quite a few years ago now, um, I heard on the inside, the Holy Spirit say, now you can go anywhere from the Baltics to the Balkans. Now, that would be a strange saying if you weren't familiar with that part of the world, right? But so all the way from places like Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, all the way down to Albania, Croatia, those kind of places. And that kind of then covered that whole swath we were, we've been praying about. So I was like, thank God, we have the freedom now to go do that. Well, even after that, it's taken us years to really get in there and, you know, to make the kind of contacts we needed and work with people. Sometimes people ask me, you know, if you were doing it all over again, would you do anything different? <laughs> yeah, a lot. A lot I would do different, right? You look back and you go, God, I can't believe I was that stupid or why anybody even came along with us. We used to do so much alone. And now I, we don't go anywhere and start anything until we build teams first. And if that takes us a year or two years or three years, then we don't start anything until we do that. You know, it's not, we don't do it based on the calendar. We kind of have markers along the way on things that need to happen before we can start so that we can start successfully. We, and we have to raise funds for campus launches, and campus launches today cost us about $50,000 to start one. And you say, could you do it for less? Yeah, but it wouldn't be as good. And it might not be sustainable then afterwards. And that, that's trying to cover trips in and out that sometimes we do for years. So we spend a lot of time, you know, working with teams of leaders, and I do some of the uh, lead in the expansion area still. And I haven't been going this last year, of course, I didn't fly into anywhere in that part of the world. We still Zoomed and emailed and did things like that with a lot of people, but we couldn't go and do some of the other things. But, you know, it still works. We had a lot built up that was more than enough to fill up this whole last year to get uh, more campuses ready and launched and funds raised. And uh, so that worked perfect for us to do that. But anyhow, we're talking about building the church. That's just one aspect of it. And um, so, you know, a couple of questions. You don't have to answer them out loud, by the way. Um, can the church be built without more or better leadership? Can the church be built without more and better teams? And without both, can discipleship happen as it was designed to in, designed in, in the Bible? 
So let's go to our Bibles, Matthew chapter 16. We, we talked about these scriptures this morning. I won't go all through that again, but since it's a separate service, I'll just mention something. As Jesus was with his disciples, he asked them a couple of questions. The second one was, you know, who do you say that I am? And he wanted to see if they'd done the math with the scriptures they knew and watching him, observing him, being with him. And Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, you got that by revelation, not because somebody told you. And he said, kind of changed Peter's name. And he said, and on this rock, not Peter's name, of course, we have to explain that all the time in, in Europe, especially in the Catholic nations, because they still think that the church was built on Peter. And it's built on the revelation that he is the Christ. That's the only thing that makes sense, right? So we gently bring that point across, you know, so that people can follow that. And that's kind of, that's a big deal to a lot of people because that's been so ingrained in them. Um, so he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I said this morning that I believe that this is the greatest commission that we have as, as a church today is to build the church. Jesus is the head, we're the body. And we are here on the earth for the purpose of building the church. And verse 19 then, which I didn't read this morning, he says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. I think this is just one of those amazing verses that was life-changing for me. Because it, in a nutshell, it starts to tell us about the authority that we've been given as believers on the earth. He said that whatever... I bind on the earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever I allow on the earth will be allowed in heaven. That's a lot of authority. And think about that in your life sometime. Ask yourself the question, what am I allowing? What am I allowing? We're going, God help me, God help me. And he's going, it's in your hands. You have the authority to stop that or to start that. You don't have, he can't do it. He's already given that, that to us. And so sometimes, you know, we're going, Jesus, take the wheel. And he's going, I can't take the wheel. I gave you the wheel. You're in the driver's seat for some of that stuff. It's, um, I don't really need to tell all you this, but, you know, I was listening to the radio a little bit on the way out here. And yesterday, it's um, on XM Radio and on the Christian channel, one of them. And they were some of the well-known artists, you know, that sing. They, were, they had a group together, and they were talking. And of course, one or two of them, are, you know, they, they're singing one of their favorite songs, and all about, it's all about that God is in control. And you just want to go push that button and be, can I talk about that a little bit? <laughs> he's not in control. If, if he's in control of this mess out here, do you really want to follow him? I don't. If that's the best he can do, I'll go follow somebody else. I could make that kind of a mess myself. Now, does he, would he like a little bit more control by working through the church? Of course. But to, to think that, he's, that everything is in his control doesn't make any sense. If he was in control, I would never get upset. Right? So it, it's a bad message to send that God is in control when he said whatever you allow on the earth will be allowed in heaven, whatever you forbid will be forbidden. He'll stand behind it, but it's us that has to say it and do it. So anyhow, that's free. Um, but part of that is, you know, when he said, I will build my church, 
he was talking about a supernatural church, right? Signs, wonders, miracles, but also love, patience, kindness, all those kind of things that are, we want, we want the signs, wonders, miracles, but it's, do I have to really do that other stuff? Yeah, we should, right? So it's all, it's a package that we can all, we can walk in it all together, but he, it is a supernatural church. So we're talking about building the church, so I just want to say this, number one, the purpose you are on the earth is to build the church. First, and, you, and that's a general statement, and somewhere along the line, then each of us has to find out specifically where we fit in that. But just know this, if you didn't know what you were called to or what your purpose was for being on the earth, you know that now. The, your, your purpose is to help build the church one way or another. And that may change over time. My role has changed over time. And yours may too, or it may not. You may be called to be right here in this local church and serve in whatever capacity you can or are willing to, and, and that will be what God wants. But you have to determine that. So that's just number one. That's an easy one. But I'll just say number two, because it fit with those scriptures, that Jesus gave the church authority to carry out his purposes on the earth. You and I have that authority. Whatever he wanted done is going to be done through us, not in spite of us. How would you like to be God and work through us? Holy cow. <laughs> so turn to Proverbs. Well, you can turn. Uh, this. I'm going to read this in the Passion Translation, so maybe it'll just be up on the screen. Proverbs 24, verses 3 through 6. Building the church. I like, you know, some of the things that the Passion Translation just did very well. Do they didn't, but... So verse 3, wise people are builders. We could stop right there. That's good, isn't it? Wise people are builders. They build families, businesses, communities, and through intelligence and insight, their enterprises are established and endure. I want to stop there for a minute. When, when I got saved, 17 years old, Greeley, Colorado, um... I got saved not because I wanted to go to heaven or I was afraid of hell. My friends would say, well, you know, where are you going to go when you die? And I said, I assume the cemetery like most everybody else. That's changed too. I'm not going there either. But uh, they'd ask those kind of questions and I said, I don't believe in heaven or hell. I don't care. I was more interested in a God that could change this life than I was heaven or hell. You know, you grow up with an alcoholic mother, workaholic father. Not a great combination. And I didn't want to repeat that cycle. I wanted to see something different. So when they're talking about, you know, God, is he big enough to change a life? Well, he is big enough, right? So um, I go into the church then for the first time, and it was a very conservative denominational church, but I didn't know anything about churches. I didn't know there were even different kinds. What do I know, right? Um, I, didn't go, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in Sunday school. So I had no bad doctrine, no good doctrine. I was kind of an empty slate coming into the church. And so I'm coming into the church expecting this thing to be amazing, right? I mean, I'm thinking people are different. And I come into the church, and they're not different. And that disappointed me. Now, I, the people were nice, and they were caring, and all those kinds of things, 
but they're just, it just wasn't what I was expecting. They, they said things that, you know, I thought, that doesn't even make sense. You know, they'd talk about, um, you know, somebody got in a, in a car wreck, and, it's just, and but it was so that they could be in the hospital next to this person and, and share the gospel with them. And you're thinking, okay, it's great they shared the gospel, but I, do I want to serve a God that puts people in car wrecks? You know, I don't know anything. I'm just asking questions to myself at the time because I'm thinking, this sounds stupid to me. And I'm expecting a church that is this amazing supernatural place. Well, you know, I know better now. I know that a lot of people that come in, you know, they're, they're just born again. You know, we don't, we don't know anything like I didn't. But some of these people had been saved 30 and 40 years at that time, and they talked worse than I did. So that was disappointing to me. And then you go along a little bit further and you see leadership failure and church failures and all those kind of things going on. And you're just scratching your head going, what is going on? I thought this was the church. I thought this was something that God was doing here on the earth. So I was a little, like I said, I was a little disappointed. And I, so I was trying to figure some things out. I had a lot of questions and very few answers. And I would say it probably took me about 30 years to get what I would call more complete answers to some of those things. And what it did for me was I had this kind of quest going on in the back of my mind since I was a Christian trying to figure out the church and, and what, it, what it was and what it should be and how it was supposed to function. And what that did was over time is we, had just, we launched a website called thechurchbuildingsystem.com which I hope we'll have videos on by a little later this year to help people understand more about how to build the church, not just in theory, but how to. How can we do this better than we've done before? And that there really is a system in Scripture to build the church. God did everything in systems. We have the universe. It's a system. The planets are a planetary system. It's a solar system. Our body is made up of eight or nine systems, whether... If you call, some people call skin a system and some don't, that's why it's eight or nine. But you have your respiratory, muscular, everything's a system. We have sewer systems, aren't you glad for that? We have economic systems. So God built everything in a system, and yet we functioned in the church without a system. Does that make any sense? No. So, you know, through the years, you know, we, kind of, we started to see and discover that there was a system to build the church, too. And we've missed a lot of it through the years. I think we're 2,000 years down the road, God. Why didn't we do this, figure this out earlier? Well, maybe somebody did, and I just didn't hear it. But anyhow, so God, he says, wise people are builders. If, you know, no matter what we do in life, we should be building something, even if it's just ourself, right? We have to build ourselves. Growing. All right, let's read on. Verse 4. He says, Because their skilled leadership, the hearts, because of their skilled leadership, the hearts of people are filled with the treasures of wisdom and pleasure and spiritual wealth. I don't think that I had many uh, skilled leadership spiritual leaders in my early part of my Christianity. Now, let me say this I don't want to come off as too critical here. We teach our students, be a critical thinker, but don't become critical. Big difference, right? Ask the questions, the questions that have to be answered. But even if you don't have the answer, don't become critical about your current situation, your current leadership, or the church. That doesn't help us. We're solution finders, not problem finders. 
alone. You know, if you find a problem, you got to find a solution, even if it takes 30 years, right? Whatever it takes. So, but skilled leadership, hearts of people are filled with treasure of wisdom, pleasures, and spiritual wealth. You have that here. You know why you have hearts of, that are filled with spiritual wealth? Because you have skilled leadership. You, everybody doesn't have that around the world. And it makes a big difference in, in who you are and how you walk through life and what you can do. Verse 5, wisdom can make anyone into a mighty warrior and revelation knowledge increases strength. Wise strategy is necessary to wage war and with many astute advisors, you'll see the path to victory more clearly. I won't go into all of that because there's a lot in there. But we can build ourselves into better leaders, parents, business people, church leaders, whatever it is, um, on purpose so that we can fulfill God's purposes, right? There's intentionality in here. It's not a, like Pastor Mark said before, okay, sera, sera. It's, it's not, we're just not going to float through life and we'll just see how it turns out. No, intentionally building and growing ourselves and others so that the church becomes what it should be. This supernatural church, this body that is the light that goes out into the communities. When I was, when I was a teenager, and uh, when, when we moved to Greeley when I was 15, you know, my particular class had a lot of Christians in it, and so they were those portable lights, the luknos, right? The lamps. And uh, they, I don't know how bright they were compared to others, but they were very bright compared to me. And they shared the gospel with me. So it doesn't matter your age, right, or anything. Just be the light that you can be at the time. Anyhow, <clears throat> when I was 15, right, you know, really before we moved to Colorado, I had come to three conclusions in life. I was unsaved and 15, so give me a break when you hear them, all right? <clears throat> but here's what they were. Now, we lived, we lived in this amazing place out on a lake in Wisconsin. We had a 16,000-square-foot house on a lake and no neighbors, really. A senator had built this house many years before, and my dad bought it because it had been sitting empty for so many years and uh, took a, a good 10 years to remodel it. Uh, while we were living in it, but it was this gorgeous place. So it wasn't that we didn't have things and have money. We did. My, my dad made money. But um, so my first conclusion was that money in and of itself will never make you happy. Right? We had a great place to live, and I'd rather live somewhere else with some love. My second conclusion was don't get married and ruin someone's life. <clears throat> and number three don't have kids and ruin their lives on purpose. I, was the, I have five sisters, and I'm number five of six. I was the first one in my family, as far as I could see, that got born again. And, and that changed who I was. Uh, my sisters are still dealing with the effects of having an alcoholic mother who was abusive. And, uh, you know, that's sad, isn't it? Now, even though they get, some of them have gotten saved, most of them have, um, it still is affecting their lives today. So that's why I say some of that. So now, fortunately, I got saved and all that turned around. Money's fine. Wife is fine. Kids are great. Poot, right? So uh, you can change all of those things. 
my, but my view had to change from the inside out for that to work. So I didn't realize at the time when I'd come to those conclusions that what I was doing was searching. I was searching for some kind of meaning in life, that what my parents had and their friends had wasn't something that was that attractive to me. I thought there's got to be more to life than this. But I didn't, I didn't know what that was, and I didn't know where to look. Um, so when we moved to Greeley and, and come into this group of friends, that are, there's a bunch of Christians in there, and they're starting to share Jesus with me. You know, I've never heard any of this stuff before. I don't connect the dots. I can't, I can't connect my searching and what they're telling me. And, you know, it's like, you know, God's like, hello. That only took two years of them sharing with me continually before I finally gave in and went to a Bible study and then probably six weeks later uh, asked Jesus into my heart. So the first step was Jesus. The rest came after that. And people don't know that that's the answer yet. They have all sorts of problems and issues and searchings and lack of purpose, and they don't know that start with Jesus and the rest will come after that. Jesus really is the answer, and the local church is the answer for all those people out there that just don't know what to do. So we want to get more of them in here. So we want to help you grow so that you can be the brightest possible light out there shining around all those lost people, lost and hurting people. So... But that's growth is what you know we can really call the process of discipleship because in the church a person can find their purpose, become who they were meant to be, accomplish what they were meant to accomplish, and give their unique supply. Everybody has a supply to give. The devil will lie to everybody and say, Well, you don't really have much or you've got nothing. That is a lie. And we'll read some verses in a minute about that. But the moment you were conceived, probably, or even before, God, because he is the creator of the heavens and earth and everything's in them, was bound by himself to put a purpose on your life. And you might have some gifts and talents that have been buried for one reason or another. And God wants those to be discovered and developed so that they can be deployed into the body of Christ and change and help the body. Even as a business person, it's in the church where you find out who you are in Christ. You find out the purpose for money and why you make it and where it should go and what it should do, how to build relationships and how to use your business as a place to be a ministry to those people that are coming in there. It's more than just a place to make money. It's a place where you can touch lives. And there's lots of good examples out there and you probably have some here. So again, number one, the purpose is to build the church. And when we say build the church, that means building people, right? We are the church. And then we've been given authority to build or the right and the responsibility to build people into who God wants them to be. Turn to Mark chapter 16. We're going to go through these verses um, pretty quick. These are what we normally would call the Great Commission, but now that you know that this is a Great Commission, but not the greatest, Right? Like I say, the, the build the church is the umbrella that everything fits under. Go into all the world fits under the building of the church. So verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. Remember, supernatural church. 
They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, uh, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. All good verses. Verse 19, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. He is going to come back the same way for the church. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs, amen. You know, if I'd have been there at that time watching as an observer, I'm going, whoa, 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 you can't leave. Nobody here is qualified yet. Because you're just going, there, there goes the, the guy, the king of kings, the lord of lords, and, you know, I don't know if anybody here is ready, but they did because he went and helped them. We never are in this alone, are we? And sometimes I think we've made the mistake, I have in the early years, of wanting people to be more ready than was necessary to get started. Just go do something, right? When, when I got saved, my friends right away were taking me out on the streets in Greeley on Friday nights to witness to people. I knew nothing. I said, what am I going to tell them? I can't even quote a scripture. They said, just tell them that, you know, Jesus changed your life. I said, well, I guess I could do that, but I'm still nervous. I said, you know, by Wednesday, I had sweat marks down to here, thinking about Friday night. That wasn't me. I didn't like doing that. I didn't like talking to people I didn't know about things I didn't know anything about. (laughs) That doesn't bother some people, but it bothered me. So... But it was good for me. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Kind of the same thing here. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know, he says this just quickly, and then the very next thing he says, Go therefore. Right? He delegates that authority to us on the earth. Go therefore, make make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've heard it a million times. I'll say it one more. He didn't just say, go make converts, which is great, but he said, make disciples. Disciples are people who are on a purposeful growth path heading towards something. I like what John Maxwell said, and I wish I could say that I was this, had been this same person. But John Maxwell said, for over the last 40 years, every year he sat down and wrote a personal growth plan and a professional growth plan to follow out that year. You know, like I said, when he was young, he said, I want to become a better speaker. So he took that year and he went to f- listen to people who were, could speak well and get people in the palm of their hand. That was his goal that year. And then, but every year he has done something like that for over 40 years. He's been an intentional learner and grower. That's a good thing, isn't it? All right, so make disciples. Um, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So, number three is go make disciples. Sounds easy. It's not. Because we're people, and, you know, the people that are discipling us have to work with us, and we're stubborn and everything else. But he said, go make them. So, an important step for every believer's life and assignment is to realize that our life isn't all about us, that we have to be healthy enough. I have to be healthy enough so that I can put into use, right? There's got to be some overflow there. I can't be so needy and so in trouble all the time that my life isn't to a place where I can put something into use. I have nothing to give. Well, that's a sad statement, isn't it? Well, then let's grow. Let's help that person grow 
so that they are healthy and strong, and out of their overflow, they can give to others. Because how do we make disciples if we don't have it in us? Everybody that's a Christian can disciple somebody in something. If you get somebody born again, you do know more than they do. I tell our students today, I said, probably everybody in this room knows 99% more, or knows more than 99% of all the believers out there. So you have, some, you have enough in you to go out there and start discipling other people. You just got to do it. Got to find a way and a place to do it. You know, I love small groups. Like what you guys are doing with small groups. I don't know if you can grow better anywhere than in a small group. Because it's a place then where you're not just being taught, but you can have some back and forth. You can get some questions answered. And so small groups are great. And in most a lot of great discipleship happens in a team or a small group setting. It happens here. It happens on Sunday mornings. It happens whenever the pastor's speaking or whatever. That's a part of it, but it's not all of it. Right? So there's a lot other ways to be discipled. We like to get, you know, if you picture it this way. You know, if you had this arrow that's more like a swath or a path, and Jesus was saying, come follow me. It wasn't just to listen, but they were working with him on the way. He was forming a team, and he was discipling them on the way of fulfilling his mission. He didn't stop and go over here and then stop and go over there. He said, if you want to learn, if you want to grow, if you want to be discipled, come follow me. <laughs> and it won't be easy, by the way. But that's how he discipled the, that particular group. They had to come follow him. I've told people before, I said, you know, we do a lot of stuff around. There's a lot of work to do. If you want to spend time with us and learn, come on and work. That does, everybody isn't interested in that. But that's the best way to do it because you know, that's discipleship in real time. Because then we can see if you're going to get upset with other people, if you can work with other people, and then that's an opportunity to put the word to work. So one way, not the only way. But that's an important step for everyone. So I must be able to look beyond myself so that I can disciple other people. Years ago, we were in Southern California on one of our summer trips and at a stoplight and pull up to this light and a young lady in a little car pulls up next to us and big pink letters on the back window of her car says, it really is all about me. And I said to Michelle, I said, hey, check that out. I said, I wonder if she really believes that it is Southern California, or if she's, this is a joke. Because uh, if she believes that, it's not going to work out that way. You know why it's not all about her? Because everybody else thinks it's about them. <laughs> they don't have time for her if it's about them. All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. <clears throat> I think these are all verses you've probably heard before. But we're, we're just kind of walking through a little bit of a system here. It's kind of the outline of the system that God is using to build the church. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we can say this, number four then, is we don't do it alone, spiritually or physically. He endued us with his very power to accomplish his will. I could say it this way, we were never meant to work alone. 
Working alone has a few advantages. Survival and productivity are not either of them. Right? It's, you know, it, two, are, two are better than one. And that's one of the reasons that we build teams is because we don't want people working alone. Where is there a succession plan if you work alone? You're one and done. We don't want one and dones. We want things continue. We're talking about discipleship. Where's the discipleship if it's one? That doesn't work very well. So we were never meant to build alone in our own strength or in our own wisdom even. And that's where, you know, with a, what we read in Proverbs there, you know, a multitude of wisdom. There's, there's, there's counsel. Or in a multitude of counsel, there's wisdom. Um, we need that from each other. You know what I found out? If I quit doing all the thinking and let other people help, we, got, we had a lot better ideas. They'd say, Pastor, what do you think? I'd say, well, what do you think? You're the one involved in that area. You tell me, what, what do you think we should do? And that doesn't mean that's what, exactly what we're going to do, but we're going to talk about it. But it, it's, you know, I had to quit doing all the thinking. That was dysfunctional. So, and that was helping then people uh, let, let God work through them. You know, I, you know, I always believed when I worked for other people that I had something to give, to offer. And so, uh, you know, why wouldn't we think other people do too? Right? He works through all of us. And it, it's good to help people discover how that works in them and through them as a team. So we have the Holy Spirit, we have each other. We were never meant to work alone. Alone is dangerous. You know, you live in a state where, um, what do they tell you about hiking alone? Not a good idea most of the time, is it? Um, so, you know, we shouldn't work that way either. So where the building the church is concerned. Now, that doesn't mean that we just sit back and rely on just say, Lord, just you do it. I'm just here, I'm available. Well, no, it means I still have to work diligently to grow, to, to grow in skills, all of those kinds of things. Um, I still need to study. It doesn't just happen, right? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> verses 11 through 16. <clears throat> just after, you know, it talks about here where Jesus is ascending. Again, it's kind of a pickup from some of the verses in Matthew and Mark that we read. And he, it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. I like to call these Sometimes, Brother Hagen always called them the five-fold ministry. I don't really like that term personally. I, I like the spiritual leadership. We have, um, here's something that I came to a conclusion to some years ago, that we have kind of been good at raising spiritual ministers, but not many spiritual leaders. The body of Christ needs spiritual leaders, not just spiritual ministers. The difference is, is leaders raise up other people. That means they have to work with other people. Because when it goes on down here and describes some things, it doesn't just say pastor, right? So we have been given spiritual leadership offices in the church. And what are they supposed to do? They're here. They were given to the body for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Which ones are those? All of them. Goes on, so till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge in the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, what, what's, what's he talking about here? Equipping, 
and growing up. That's part of our job is to help the body be equipped for the work of the ministry and to grow up into what? The image of Christ. So we know what we're aiming for. Um, Verse 14, that we should no longer be children. Wow. There's a verse we should get out to the body of Christ more. That we should no longer be children because children have certain characteristics like being offended all the time, having drama, all of those kinds of things. Mature adults in Christ don't have all that or shouldn't, right? Or else we located ourselves. No longer children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. There are still people out there trying to deceive you. And we have to be wise enough, smart enough, skilled enough to detect that. And just go, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. And then, what's the result of this? Because even though the word isn't used in these verses, it's really describing the result or the path of discipleship. And then the end result is what? Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working, by which every part does its share causes growth in the body for the edifying of itself in love. I think Paul used too many words in that verse personally. I think it would have been a little easier if he just said when every member, you know, discovers their, what their unique supply is, develops it, and gives that, then the body grows and is stronger. So that's the result of growing up in Christ, being equipped for the work of the ministry that we are able to effectively give our supply. You know, maybe that'd be a good question to take home with us and answer. What is my supply? And again, we should say, what is my supply? Maybe at the moment, it may change over time. But what is my supply? We're building the church's concern today. You know, what, what could I do more effectively? How could I give my supply to my church even better than I have before? Because it... it it's, it's not too important. It's only the lives of an eternity for all the people in this community. So there's no pressure. We all have this, right? But we want to give our supply. So let me say this. Number five, then, is equip the saints. We want everyone to go through the process of discipleship so that they can give their unique supply and strengthen the body. Colossians 1 a little different aspect. Verses 28 and 29. I'll finish up here fairly soon. It says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we, we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. I just want to add this verse because, you know, I don't want it to sound, you know, discipleship is awesome, but it's also difficult and it can also be very confronting. Uh, so he said, in verse 28, he said, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Sometimes we have to be warned. Sometimes I have to be corrected. And, you know, it's um, crucial conversations or 
conflict resolution isn't an easy thing, and it's not natural to most people. But if we're going to be in the body of Christ, it's a skill we should learn how to do. And, you know, it took me a long time to learn that and feel comfortable with that. But the result of it was better discipleship. If Jonathan was acting up and had all sorts of issues, and I could sit down in the right kind of atmosphere and say, hey, Jonathan, what's going on? Instead of, you know, what in there? You know, we don't start out by yelling. We start out by asking, hey, can you tell me, help me out, what's going on? Something going on at home? Uh, uh, <laughs> or whatever. And it, 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 it helps people to be able to open up and say, you know, so then, you know, what can we do to help you? And if we can fix that there, you know, in, in a nice way, the result is so much better than coming down hard on people. You know, I hear this from, you know, some of our uh, students, you know, around different countries, you know, where they're in a church where the pastor yells at people all the time. And I'm like, well, leave. Why do you want to be in a church where the pastor's yelling at you? In the office, from the pulpit, whatever. And it's just like, why do you want to be in that kind of situation? Where's the discipleship there? Now, there's not a lot of places to go, but still, you can't stay in those kind of situations long term without being damaged. That's not good for people. So, you know, find a place where somebody actually loves you, cares for you, teaches you. Now, you guys have all this. I'm just saying theoretically, if, if you weren't. Um, you know, where you can, get, you can find the right kind of thing so that you can grow and give your supply. So that's what we want to bring other people in for and help them. So number six, then, another aspect of equipping, uh, of, equipping of disciples is not, all teach, is not all teaching and preaching. There's other aspects to it that are more important. When it comes to raising children, it's not all just talking, is it? You have to show them how to do it. They make mistakes. You show them again. Look at how just when they learn how to eat. It's a disaster. <clears throat> I mean, you want to do it for them for, until they don't make such a big mess because so you don't have to clean it up. But they don't learn that way. Yeah, so learning to eat is messy. Learning to, to do a lot of things is messy. But you, you have to let people do it. And then you have to be there to help them and clean up the mess uh, for a while until they can do it without making a mess. But it, that's, part of, that's part of growing. So... Whatever it takes to do that. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Just talking about a system for building the church. What are, how does God want to do this? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All right, so what does the word do? It inspires. It gives us doctrine. It gives us reproof. It will correct us when we need it. It will instruct us in righteousness. Until we are what? We are more complete. That the man of God may be complete, com thoroughly equipped for every good work. How long does that take? Our whole life. This is a lifelong endeavor. It doesn't happen overnight or in five years or ten years. It takes a lifetime to become that, I think. So number seven is the word of God is our basis, our authority for instruction. It's, it's there for direction. It's the beginning and the end of equipping. The Word of God. One more verse. One more set of verses. It's actually two verses in there. But 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. He says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men 
who will be able to teach others also. What does that sound like? That sounds like discipleship, doesn't it? I call this the discipleship continuum. Um, you know, it has to be a cycle that we have to find faithful men and women. And, and the definition of faithful here is people that will continue to pass it on. If it stops with you, then you're not, you don't qualify as faithful in this verse. Right? So if, if I don't pass it on, I'm not faithful. I want to be a faithful discipler. So what I've learned, I want to pass on somehow. And so number eight is he wants us to pass on intentionally what we have learned. Not just, to, not just for others to hear, but also to observe and to be a part of living and learning while they're doing it. It's a process. So building the church, we're talking about building people, aren't we? It's not just a building. That's great. We have a place to meet in. But it really comes down to us building people. When you come here on Sundays or Wednesdays or small groups, it's because you're being built for a purpose and helping to, uh, you're being helped to discover what God has put in you so that you can give that unique supply to the body and continue to keep this thing growing and building until the church is really what it was meant to be. Right? So that when people hear about you and hear about the church, that you know, they go, yeah, I know them, and they're different. Now, there's a lot of people who are different, but we want it to be a compliment. <laughs> You're different. <laughs> uh, we, you know, we want to be like the, the bug light where the, light's the bug's attracted to the light, not repelled by it. We want to be the bug light, not bug spray. So uh, that's why we want to learn and grow, you know, so that we can be those kind of people. I think you all know all that. Again, it's a reminder message. But like I say, it's, it's, it's a system that God has for building the church, and we don't want to ignore it. It's simple in design and difficult to walk, to walk out. Um, but it works, and it's worth it. It's worth the time in investing in people. So, you know, find a way that you can invest in somebody on a regular basis. And it, might, it doesn't have to be uh, an hour long or something like that. It can be short. But, you know, invite somebody over for coffee or for dinner or something. And you know what I tell people sometimes? They say, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I say, well, get a book. And, and read the book together and talk about it. It's like Pastor Mark's going to do with Rick Renner's book. Um, that's an easy way to do it. Hey, I read this book. I, I, I'd like to go through this book with you. And here's, I even have an extra copy for you. And maybe we could meet once a week and, you know, go through a chapter and talk about this. That would be discipleship. And you know what? That's how you get people to open up and to trust you and, to, and you can help them with all sorts of other things in their life. So it's worth it. Just find a way. God, God has a hundred million ways, it seems like, that we can do it. You're unique and he'll find a unique way for you to do it. Right? So praise the Lord. Let's stand up.